is the Jamal Show. You didn't use the headphones, huh? Okay. All right, I'm going to get started. Hello, Hartford. Hello, Hartford. Wake up. It is yet another great day to be alive. Alive with so many things to do and so many things to be alive for. Hope you had a happy Good Friday and a very happy Easter to you and your family. I pray you all have more stability in your lives. Stability can be an unsung hero. This has been a few tough weeks for me. I've had some health issues and some family issues and some relationships issues. I almost took a day off today, but you know what? I'll tell you what, consistency is important. If I can make it in, I will. The only time I won't make it here is when I can't because stability is important. When you can do nothing else, sometimes you can just show up. There's a lot to be said for just showing up because it's your job or because it's the right thing to do. That portrays stability. We are stable, we're not going anywhere. We are always gonna be here, even if Dr. Alfonso Matt cannot be, or even if you're a listener and you have to sit one out because you're sick or you're not in town. There was a time when I came to the studio by myself and thank God you don't have to listen to that anymore. But now we aren't going anywhere. Stability is underappreciated, but it will not be on this broadcast. And since not all people are still with us, let me take some time. I have to give a shout out to the family of Capitol Police Officer William Evans, an 18-year veteran of the Capitol Police Force. He died yesterday when a mentally unstable person attacked the U.S. Capitol with a car and a knife. That makes four Capitol officers dead from violence this year alone. Those dead would be Officer Brian Signick, who died as a result of injuries that he sustained in the Trump rally on January 6th. Other people call it a Capitol riot. I call it a Trump rally because that's what it was. An average Trump rally. Officers Jeffrey Smith and Howard Liebengood, Liebengood both died by suicide sometime after January 6th. And now William Evans, who was murdered just yesterday. I just want to give the Capitol Police families a little love because it's been a hard year for the Capitol Police. I'll have more to say about this soon. Now to move on, I'm really blessed today because there's a lot to talk about. These are my favorite days to be on radio because I'm a talker. And there are so many things to talk about today. So many things happening around us stimulate us and remind us that we are indeed alive. And I never get tired of appreciating this wonderful gift of life given directly to us in the most personal of ways. Welcome to your next day, my friends. My name is Jamal. This is the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent. And let me begin by addressing some nasty, nasty rumors, some really nasty rumors about me. Bishop, I got to address this today. Um, I've been ignoring it. And they must be addressed. It's something similar to what's happening to that congressman right now. You may have heard of this congressman, Matt Gates, Young, rich, college fraternity-looking guy, one of the biggest Trump supporters in Congress. Now, being accused of a few small crimes, like sex trafficking, underage women across state lines, but basically just above a traffic ticket. They say he may have to go to court to defend himself, and we will see, but it already looks bad for Mr. Gates because he hasn't made any friends in Congress. He's turned off a lot of people by being a Supreme Trump follower. And he's known to be a bit raunchy with the ladies. Raunchy as in hiring women for sex and paying them through Apple Pay. That's what I mean by raunchy. He's also known to show pics of nude women to other people in Congress. And by the way, what a display of white privilege that is, right? No black congressman would ever feel that entitled as to treat the Congress as a frat house. Any black congressman would be too scared of losing their powerful position to do that. But Matt Gates, not so much. He's showing new pics 
to people in Congress. He's paying cash to young ladies in hotels. He's known to like partying and drinking and drugs. And now he's being investigated by the Department of Justice for sex trafficking. I mean, what else do you expect from a man of the tender age of a 38, right? The problem is that when you do that kind of stuff as a congressman, it tends to get the rumor mill going. And it leads to people, it leads people to believe you're unstable. And if there's one thing you need to be as a lawmaker, you need some level of stability. Or at least the appearance of stability. That's why most lawmakers are married. It's actually easier to get elected if you give off the appearance of stability. Stability is our topic of the day, my friends. Sit close to me and listen to these stories I have for you about stability, which is a highly underrated characteristic. Now, Matt Gates hasn't been silent, my friends. He has been adamant about defending himself and saying that he is not, in fact, a disgusting sex trafficker. That's what he says. He is not that. Sure, he pays for his dates to dine with him in other, in other states. He pays for their flights in the hotel rooms, but none of them were underage, right? The real reason for this investigation, says Matt Gates, is because his family is being extorted. That's right. His family is being extorted. They're being extorted for $25 million. And if they don't come up with the money, if they don't come up with the money, Matt Gates will be charged with sex trafficking, like he is right now. It all makes sense now, doesn't it? This whole sex trafficking thing is coming up now because the Gates family didn't pay, says Matt Gates. Matt Gates doesn't pay for sex, says Matt Gates, now engaged to be married. Also, his office just released a statement saying the same exact thing. If you didn't see it, I'll tell you. His office says, he never had sex with anybody underage. So there you go. That's what his office says. Even though the New York Times has collected receipts from Matt Gates's paying escorts, he denies it. And you got to believe him, my friends. I believe him. You got to believe him. You know why? Because the same thing is happening to me. That's right, my friends. For years, there have been nasty, nasty rumors about me. People have been saying that I drink alcohol. say I've been seen in bars drinking with women that I was not married to. These are lies. People have even said they've seen me smoke pot. How despicable these rumors. And we all know why this is happening. It's because I'm a target. Let's be honest. Everybody knows that Jamal has assets. I know this. I can see everybody looking at me when I cross the street. And I know these chumps are putting out these nasty rumors to extort me for the $1,500 that I've saved after the Hartford Credit Union. They're trying to take me down. That's the plan, folks. They are just jealous of the 1%. They are trying to punish success. Not everyone has an account with a whole $1,500 in it. And that's just one account. Don't let me, don't even get jealous. I don't want anybody to think that I'm bragging here. I'm just trying to make a point. There's got to be a reason why these awful lies are coming out now about me hanging in cigar bars, drinking expensive wine, and talking to women that I have not yet married. And that's the worst part right there. It must be because I'm high profile. And let me, let me, let me tell you, you know who the victim here is, right? I am. I'm the victim here, just like Matt Gates when he gets caught trafficking 17-year-old girls over state lines. When that happens, when that happens, it's pretty clear that he is just being extorted for his riches. That's all it is. It's like me and my saved up $1,500. And I need to make that point. So if you just so happen to see pictures or video of me in a bar or a restaurant smoking cigars, drinking or talking to women freely, you should know that it's fake news because I was really in church, asked the bishop. And everybody should remember me at church, because I was the one who was singing too loud. Now, before I get off track, before I get off track, we all know that as a part of this program, I always have chores to do. 
things that I have to say in order to make sure I can return again in two weeks. So please allow me some space to do that now. After I drink some water. You, you see my voice is gone, right? Welcome to Saturday, my friends. This is the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent, live and on your favorite podcasting network. My name is Jamal. I'm that information junkie, and I'm passing the fruits of my illness on to you. That's what this whole show is about. As for me, I'm your listener guide, mostly along for the ride, coming straight from the Hartford studios of WKND, and I'm doing that live until God tells me to stop. God has yet to say that to me, but the night is young. The revolution will not be televised because the revolution cannot afford streaming services. Therefore, the revolution will not impose that cost upon you. I'm going to say hello to the bishop and my other guests in the live studio with me. Very happy to say the bishop is not being investigated by the Department of Justice for sex trafficking, underage girls. And that's why he's had no problem with the Jamal Show background check, which is very simple. The background check is just a document that asks you if you've trafficked underage girls. The bishop marked no, so we are good to go. Now, on top of being woke, we are broadcasting on Instagram Live and Facebook Live and YouTube Live, for that matter, while on the air. But the sound is best while using a live radio app for your phone, like Extreme Mix Radio or, or Simple Radio. Guys, you'll never hear me, but my hearing-impaired listeners are the best. We accept people as we find them, and all are welcome. I'm also Executive Deborah as our ASL interpreter for the show, and you won't hear anything like it. Check her out on Instagram Live. People like her channel way better than like my Facebook channel, so I'm glad she keeps me around. Let me remind you that there is also a Jamal Show Facebook page, and who knows for how long. Facebook is not a democracy. Mark Zuckerberg is like Putin. But on that Facebook page that is now existing, we invite you to join us on the Think Tank email club. I've been talking about this for a long time, but we'll finally be going to be sending out our first correspondence within the next 10 days from now. So go ahead, join us on Facebook. You won't be sorry about that. Now, it's been about two weeks since you've heard my voice. You last heard me talk about purpose, and I hope you found it purposeful. Today, I want to spend a long time, a little time ranting about stability, and it'll help a lot if I can do so without sounding like a madman. Because that just wouldn't be credible, wouldn't it? How will I pull this off? Well, I'll always do it by scheming and planning on how to get you all more intelligent. And it's not at all easy to do that with people treating my Asian brothers and sisters as less than, less than human. Because my Asian brothers and sisters, they deserve better. And I just can't stay silent about that. Some people should learn not to strike out at others for their problems that they have within themselves. Here's some information for just $3,000, but I've never gotten anybody to pay anything at all. The Jamal Show broadcasts live every two weeks on Saturdays, which is more than enough time for you to find a cop who thinks it's just fine to kneel on a black man's neck until paramedics have to push you off. In fact, I'll bet you could do that twice by next Saturday. By the way, this part is not supposed to be funny, but I'm a well-respected Connecticut attorney. So you may want to stop treating me like background music now. I can be found on Jamal Show Radio at gmail.com. If you get locked up by the popo, give me a call, and I will not hang up on you like your mother might. I remind you that this broadcast will soon be up on every broadcast network that ever existed and that will ever exist. That sounds like a lie because it is. But you'll forgive us when we make it true with your help. So please introduce us to friends and family. We appreciate that. Lastly, lastly, please know that my views do not represent the views of the station because they reserve that position for people who are actually stable. They don't feel that I marked that checkbox for them, so here we are. If you want to chat with me on any subject except your bills, that number is 860-218-2173. Nobody ever calls because they don't want to be involved with all the paparazzi. But if you're brave, we would love to hear from you. So now comes our independent music section. We only play independent music on the Jamal Show, and people really seem to like that. So we're going to keep that up as long as people send us great stuff. It's independent music for you and me to enjoy. So now we're going to take a break and practice what we preach. And after the jam ends, please come back again and join us. I really, 
really want to share with you a great story about who won the Jamal Show Award this week and why. It's most definitely a pleasure to have you back with us on the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent on WKMB and on podcast. I am Jamal from Harlem, the man from Uncle, the one-eyed man in the blind man's world, the old school hip-hop lover, snake charmer, and drinker of Republican tears. Thanks for being with us on the Jamal Show. Now, moving on, I need to speak about another victim besides Congressman Matt Gates, who is being investigated for sex trafficking underage girls. I'm about to speak about a real victim, a guy by the name of George Floyd. He's no longer with us. Perhaps you've heard of him. Maybe you've been around a bit, but in case you don't own a TV and you need a refresher, this whole thing began on May 25th of 2020, almost a year ago, but not quite. This man was handcuffed behind his back, laid face down on the ground on a street in Minneapolis. And then an officer kneeled on his back until he died, trying to breathe and calling for his dead mother. George Floyd died in front of an audience. That audience was the whole world. In case you were in a coma at the time, his murder caused some of the biggest wide-scale protests in American history. And they didn't stop at the American border. They spread to just about American country, every, every country, excuse me, outside of America, including Iran and Pakistan and India and all those countries. They became a protest against the mistreatment of minorities around the world by law enforcement. These protests were being credited with changing how American law enforcement are trained to react to citizens in general and minorities in particular. Four Minneapolis police officers were charged with George Floyd's death and the trial for the first officer, the one that physically sat on George Floyd's neck like a master on the neck of a disobedient slave, that guy, his trial has just begun. I know you know it has begun because it's been on every TV station for every minute of every day since it has begun. You almost can't escape the trial. And believe me, I've been trying to. This reminds me of when I was in college many years ago and the OJ trial was on TV. I'm giving away my age. I know that. The OJ trial was on TV every single day. You remember that, right, Bishop? The OJ trial? You couldn't escape it. I was in class sometimes. I guess the Scott Peterson trial in California was like this too. Every now and then you get one this big. Now, many of you know that I'm a lawyer. I don't find watching entire trials very interesting. If they don't involve a client of mine, I'd rather see the highlights. I'm the one who likes to watch the highlights of a game. Instead of the whole game, I watch the highlights that won the game, the plays that matter. And if I, I, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of highlights so far. And I want to go over some of these standout features of this particular case, the George Floyd case. I want to go over this with you, just the highlights, because you don't need to know everything. Just the important things. That's what I'm here for. So let's get started. First of all, let's talk about the jury breakdown. It's really interesting. There are 15 jurors. 12 of them are permanent, two alternates, and one backup, in case one drop out. Uh, I guess the alternates are to be replaced by the judge. Well, the, the, the backup is to be replaced by the judge, and the alternates are if uh, something really happens and someone has to leave, I guess. The final jury is nine women and six men. Now, because women tend to be more liberal than men, this hurts former cop Derek Chauvin's case. Nine jurors are white, four are black, and two are multiracial. This means that the jury is actually blacker than the jurisdiction in which they sit. This almost never happens, people. I've actually never heard of a four to, four to, six, a four to six black people on any jury judging the actions of a cop. This really hurts Derek Chauvin's case a lot. It only takes one or two jurors to make a difference, so he's in trouble here. These stats are troubling. The white portion of the jury is also very black friendly. During jury selection, a few of the white jurors expressed the same racial justice concerns about the police as the four black jurors did. Shout out to Black Lives Matter. Thank you very much. 
Derek Chauvin loses on this fact clearly. The truth is that we may be moving away from the day when lawyers can assume that whites will always be more sympathetic to the police. We're moving away from that day, it seems. Now, we've also learned some new things in this trial that we didn't already know about the George Floyd case. And these were kind of startling to me. Like, here's the first one. When the cops first approached George Floyd in his car, they had their guns pulled out already. And they, they actually tapped his window with their gun, almost like in a movie, like Dirty Harry or something, like, tap, tap, what you doing here, buddy? Would you remember that police were originally called for misdemeanor? It seems very inappropriate to approach with their guns drawn already. They had no indication whatsoever that George Floyd was armed. That's the equivalent. I mean, what they did was the equivalent of being stopped for a traffic ticket and being approached by two cops with guns pointing at you. It seems like they began the whole situation with overkill. And it suddenly ended with overkill. I mean, you can just look at how this mass shooter was just arrested in uh, Orange County, in California. This man shot eight people, and then they calmly walked him to the ambulance. They were like, are you okay, man? Hey, let's look at that leg. Hey, let's get him to the ambulance, guys. He just shot eight people, but he still has rights. Darn it. George Floyd didn't get that. He came, They came out with guns pointed at George Floyd. Here's another thing we learned. Derek Chauvin was on George Floyd's neck, not for eight minutes and 47 seconds. You're so yesterday. You're so yesterday. Eight minutes and 47 seconds. That was yesterday's news. The fact is that he was on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds, not eight minutes and 47 seconds. Now, to you and I, to you and I, that's just a 42-second difference. To George Floyd, though, that was 42 seconds more that he couldn't breathe with a knee on his neck. And that must have been horrible. The most horrible 42 seconds in anybody's life. Especially at the end of it. On a hard black pavement. Here's another thing we learned that's new. There were off-duty first responders on the scene. I mean, they could be handy, right? Just in case you're having a heart attack. You have a car accident. You know what I'm saying? You got first responders on the scene. They don't have to travel. They're already there. Hey, Bishop, just in case you got a cop with his knee on your neck, you got first responders right there. That helps. That helps. But cops actually stop the off-duty first responders on the scene from giving first aid to Judge Floyd. So you have a heart attack. You're like, ooh, I'm so lucky. There's a first responder right across the street. Here comes a cop. Oh, no, you can't help him. Can't help him. Why not? Well, you know, we're looking at him for something. You know, we have this problem with a $20 bill that might be counterfeit. Don't, don't give him any first response, guys. I got to hold him down my net, by his net. Hold the bishop down by his net. Don't give him any help. You know what I'm saying? Until we find out where this $20 came from. You know what's funny? No one even knows if the $20 was even counterfeit or not. No one has even asked. They didn't ask that in court. Now, now it's not important anymore, right? I would make the argument that it wasn't important then. So holding back EMT workers from giving first aid to Judge Floyd, this is egregious. It shows a real lack of consideration for George Floyd's humanity. They forgot he was a human being. And why? Why did they forget George Floyd was a, a human being? Was it because he shot 10 people? No. Mass shooters usually make it to jail in one piece. Mass shooters make it to jail. They make it to the hospital. Everyone wants to know. Everyone wants to talk to them and find out what's going on. George Floyd, he didn't shoot anybody. He had no weapon. He was accused of a misdemeanor, passing off a fake $20 bill. Not even a crime like running over a cop. Or anything that would make police extra angry. Angry, You know what I'm saying? You spit in the cop's face. Yeah, you might get hurt on the way to jail. And I have one final note in the case so far. But this note is the most important. So p please pay attention. The citizens played a major role in this incident. Everyone thinks it was being the cop and, and George Floyd. 
or, or the cop or the other guy or the store in George Floyd. The citizens played a major, uh, a crucial role in this incident. The citizens of Minneapolis who were around at the time, they were the unsung heroes of this entire incident. And as I mentioned before, stability is oftentimes the unsung hero of a situation. Such was the case here. The citizens tried desperately to save George Floyd's life. They did not leave his side. The citizenry, they are the reason why the world knows what happened to George Floyd. Because they participated. They got involved. Because of them, we have films from every angle. I myself, I see, we all see incidents in the streets where we could pull out our camera and take a video. Fights, cops being aggressive in the streets. I myself, I got to be honest with you, I'm scared to take videos of cops sometimes because I'm afraid of escalating the situation. You ever been there? You, you want to take a video, but you're like, I don't want these cops mad. They might beat on him more. Let me see if I can de-escalate. Cops can be very unpredictable sometimes when being challenged. And all the black people who hear me know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that cops can be very unpredictable sometimes when they're being challenged. They don't like that. Especially when you're trying to handle a situation with somebody else. They'll tell you to keep walking quick. But without those videos of George Floyd being murdered, this entire thing would have been swept under the rug as it has many times before. Oh, he was just a, drug, a violent drug addict, people would say. Why don't these people ever listen to rules and orders? you got to be rough with them. They don't know how to listen. They don't pay attention to the cops. They don't respect the police officers. That's what people would be saying. If we didn't have the video, that's what people have been saying over years and years. I was just thinking last night, you can imagine what cops used to do to people when there were no repercussions, right? They were like, oh, man. He got an argument with my, my daughter-in-law, man. You know what? We're going to take this boy back into the woods, and we're going to show him never to argue my daughter-in-law like that again. There was no repercussions back then. You can imagine what people went through. People like us. Fingers cut off. I mean, you can just imagine. How many people actually get involved to help strangers these days? A few years ago, some thugs chopped up a 15-year-old boy in the Bronx with a machete. And the store owner tried to shut the door on a kid. His name was Junior. I'll never forget it. Justice for Junior. Justice for Junior. Look that up. If George Floyd was your son... All you could expect is what the citizens did in this case. They tried. When the citizens participated in this incident to help George Floyd, they did so at great risk to themselves. How do we know this? We know this because Derek Chauvin himself is using the so-called angry citizens defense. He's trying to say that he was all worried about these angry citizens. Who are these angry citizens around me? You know, I've got to hold this man's neck down. Because all these, you know, these two adolescent girls, they're really, really scary. And this 65-year-old man, whoa, he's crying out here, telling me I'm the wrong person. Let me just kneel on this guy's neck harder. I'm being distracted. These angry citizens are distracting me, and I can't really let this guy go. That's his defense. That's part of his defense. Besides, you know, well, you know this guy was a drug addict, right? Drug addicts drop dead all the time in the middle of the streets. All the time. He's trying to say he's worried about his safety because of all the angry citizens around him at the time. You saw the video? Two young girls, one nine, one sixteen, you know, a lot to be worried about. They might change their makeup on you or something. Come out with a rap song. You know what I'm saying? We all know what cops do when they're worried about their safety, don't we? If you don't know, maybe you should go to the go go to the, go to the grave. Of Tamir Rice and ask him. He knows. Little kid playing with a toy gun. He knows what happens when cops fear for their safety. Back to the citizens. Even now these citizens are participating. In justice by testifying in open court. Against this former officer. They're bringing more stability to the country. By helping to make law enforcement accountable. 
Some of them are still children, and they all show trauma from this event. All of them. They all feel guilty for not doing more to prevent this event. Even though none of it was their fault, and they weren't even in charge. Every witness feels guilty. Everybody feels guilty except possibly the man who had his knee on George Floyd's neck for almost 10 minutes while Floyd wasn't even conscious. Derek Chauvin doesn't appear to be guilty at all. He doesn't appear to feel guilty at all. He wants to blame the angry crowd for distracting him. That's why he forgot to pick up his knee. All makes sense. It just goes to show you it just goes to show you that George Floyd wasn't the only victim that day. In fact, one of the witnesses was a 65-year-old man who broke down crying in the court for 5 to 10 minutes because of the trauma he felt as a result of this incident. The only people who seemed to feel no trauma were the people doing the murdering. There's no crying from Derek Chauvin in court. Oh no, not from him. Cop knees matter. For the courage and selflessness of these citizens, I want to offer them, I want to offer them in humility the Jamal Shaw Award for Excellence. That's right, my friends. Pick up your glasses and cheer for these folks, these citizenry that that stepped in. I'm gonna show you they deserve it by playing some of their snippets and testimony over the past few days. I want you to hear these folks. I want you to hear these folks, so listen close. Prosecutors witness Darnella Frazier was 17 years old when she saw Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck. I heard George Floyd saying, I can't breathe, please get off of me. I can't breathe. He, he cried for his mom. He was in pain. She recorded the nearly 10-minute video of Floyd's death. It's been nights. I stayed up apologizing and, and apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more and not physically interacting and not saving his life. Darnella's nine-year-old cousin, Judea Reynolds, was with her that day and saw the same scene. I was sad and kind of mad. It felt like he was stopping his breathing, and it is kind of like hurting him. The defense did not press the young witness, but central to their case is the claim that officers perceived the people there to be a threat, and they were distracted by them. You called them a bum at least 13 times. That's what you counted in the video? That's what I counted. Yeah, that's, that's, your your <laughs> that's what I said then. <laughs> and more angry. They grew more and more pleading for life. I stayed in my body. You can't pay me out to be angry. On his second day on the witness stand, Donald Williams explained why he called 911 after watching Derek Chauvin kneel on George Floyd's neck. I did call the police on the police. And why did you do that? Because uh, I believe I witnessed a murder. Genevieve Hansen, a Minneapolis EMT and firefighter, was off duty that day. Call, you think that's okay? Check his boss. She said she pleaded with the officers to administer aid or allow her to. You couldn't do that? How did that make you feel? Totally distressed. Defense attorney Eric Nelson asked Hansen if she would be able to properly do her job as a firefighter if a crowd of people were trying to interfere. You wouldn't be distracted by that at all? No. What if they started calling you names? Like I said, I know my job, and I, I would be confident in doing my job. So, did you hear that last part? I told you about the first responder who the cops would not let help George Floyd, right? Well, she's a witness in this trial. And the defense is asking, the defense is asking her, well, you wouldn't be able to do your job either with that angry crowd around, would you? That angry crowd is what stopped him from actually being a good cop. And that's why, that's why he had to kill that boy. And what, don't you agree? Don't you agree, young missus? That's what, she, that's what the defense is trying to say. Once again, it's the angry crowd defense. The kind of defense that you can't ever use. Oh, I, there was an angry crowd, so I shot this dude in the head. But she answered back. She answered back that she knows her job and she would be able to perform it, even with the crowd calling her names. The name caller would not distract her from getting her knee off of someone's neck. Thank you. 
But see what the fence is doing. See what the defense is trying to do here. Anyway, these people get the Jamal Shaw Award for Excellence because of their actions. Our country will become more stable as a result of them. And by the way, really quickly, because i got to get to the next segment, if you want my opinion on the direction of the trial so far, I would say that former officer Derek Chauvin is toast. He's toast. Even his former supervisors are testifying against this man. It seems like everybody's against him. Because of COVID-19, there was only one seat reserved for, like, Floyd's family every day to sit in the courtroom, and there's one seat reserved for the Derek Chauvin's family. And Chauvin's family, his seat remains mostly empty, so I've been told. Now, while someone is in the Floyd family seat just about every day, I think that this is symbolic of the way this trial is going, to be honest with you. I've got to admit that I almost feel sorry for Derek Chauvin. If you think about it, he's really being made an example of because, quite frankly, what he did was probably acceptable by most cops in the United States until he did it on camera. And now he's the scapegoat for every time the knee to the neck has been used. Had Derek Chauvin not been on tape, he might have gotten a pat on the back from the same cops that scorned him today. So I feel sorry for him. The same way I feel sorry for any scapegoat who has become the target for years of pent-up frustration. Honestly, this trial is going so badly for him that it almost feels like a show trial. They might as well just set up a gallows outside. But still, George Floyd's death is Derek Chauvin's fault. Nobody else's. But Derek Chauvin is toast, and I think he knows it. Sometimes even his lawyer looks like he's agreeing with witnesses. Is it me, or do you see that? Do you see that too? Write me and let me know. Anyway, time for a break with some more independent music. I'd love to talk to you a little on the other side about the new infrastructure plan coming out like a new album. How about that? Remain stable and come back to me after the break. How about that? This is Ty Bless. Let's go. Let's get it. Spanish Harlem in the check in the city. Kenny Freestyle. Let's go. How I like it, baby. Woo! Shake it. Waist small.
this all day, all day. And when that big booty dance, I just gotta take a chance. Risk it all just to say. We can take it to the floor, get busy. Bring it all around all night, getting dizzy. I'm feeling deep, you feeling me like dizzy. Really wanna see what I do, wanna visit. Smack that bottom by mistake on the floor. My knees hurt, but I can still get loud. Dancing with my mask on, I don't need some love. But that big booty dance, we coming back around, let's go. Remember that? Remember Fat Albert? Hey, hey, hey. What's going on today? <laughs> I love that show. Don't laugh like you wasn't a baby when I came out. Hello again, my friends. That song was BBD by Ty Bless and another artist named Kenny Freestyle. I like that song. You probably do too. The Jamal Show is the home of independent music, one of its many homes, and we urge you to send us what you got. If it's hot, this is not no payola crap. Nobody's getting paid to play music over here except you. Thanks for sticking with us at the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent. Unfortunately, I've got to keep repeating that there are several fake Jamal Shows out there. None of them are from Harlem, so that makes them all bogus. Though I'm sure that many of them are fine people, like Trump. And it's not that not being from Harlem is a strike against you, but it is. And by the way, this is the only Jamal Show that is the place to get intelligent. So if you're looking for this broadcast on podcasts... And you get confused, just look for that trademark. Anyway, you'll never get that two minutes back, will you? I want to get back to my subject of stability, the unsung hero of every institution, and the guiding light for every human who is around for a long time. What they learn is stability. They learn to remain steady regardless of what goes on around them. To remain stable means you have to have principles that you follow. You know those things that you would never do. To remain stable means having networks that are reliable enough through easy times and hard times. A stable marriage can weather many storms. A stable country does a lot of trade with other countries because trade makes countries more relevant. A stable economy has a large, diverse, and flexible workforce. A more stable classroom is diverse with ideas, since different ideas are the catalyst for learning. My good friend Joe Biden knows this, and he's seeking to add stability to the country with a new infrastructure bill, $2.25 trillion, I believe. If he signs this bill into law, it will make us more competitive and more stable relative to other countries. Because he knows that a stable country has reliable roads and drinkable water. In the same way that Joe Biden has been a stabilizing force, the Republican Party has been a destabilizing force ever since stand-up comedian Trump entered the White House. And some would say even before. What I'm saying is that the Republicans are an unstable party. And that sounds like a subjective judgment on my part. Maybe it is. But I'm going to make the argument that it's objective reality that the Republican Party is a destabilizing force in America. How? How, Jamal? Explain this to us. I say this because the Republican Party is completely reactive. It has no central guiding light telling them to move in a certain direction. Republicans are at a point where they like whatever they think Democrats don't like. Whatever Democrats don't like, they like. Whatever they think Democrats don't like. Whether that makes practical sense for Republicans or not. For example, I'll give you an example. Stand-up comedian Trump didn't just lie to Democrats. He didn't say, oh, here's some Democrats, let me lie to them. Stand-up comedian Trump lied to everybody. He, he did not discriminate. White, black, whatever. I have a lie for you. But as long as stand-up comedian Trump was lying to Democrats too... The Republican Party didn't even care about being lied to themselves. 
I covered this a little bit in the government episode, but you don't hear Republicans talk policy anymore, right? They don't believe in policy. Their policy is, hey, I'm a zombie. Wouldn't you like to be a Trump zombie too? That's it. That sounds harsh, but am I wrong? So far through the last few years, what do we know about Republicans? Uh, of Those of the Republican Party, those who vote Republican. Well, they don't like wearing masks, even though that's the number one defense against the deadly disease. They applaud Trump helping speed up the vaccine, but they don't actually want to take the vaccine. Oh, no, 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 no. I, we didn't know we had to participate. The Republicans in Congress didn't support further COVID relief to American citizens because they said America didn't really need it anymore. But 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 they, they certainly didn't feel that way when it came to tax cuts for people who have inherited millions. They needed it. See, that's why their very first bill when Trump was in office was tax cuts for millionaires. Because to the Republicans, they needed it. COVID-19 relief? Oh, we don't need that anymore. Republicans pulled America out of the World Health Organization, which by definition is destabilizing. And now they are already saying no to the new infrastructure bill, as if America is not dying for repairs, as if bridges aren't falling in this country, as if this country doesn't need more domestic stability. Has, have you seen LaGuardia Airport in our biggest city of New York recently? It looks like a homeless shelter. I'm actually kind of surprised that more American planes don't fall out of the sky, as old as some of them are. You know what? Chicken butt. I'm kidding, but you know what? I wish every American could take a trip to China and see what a real Chinese airport looks like. I wish I could make that happen. Not because I think the suicide rate in America would rise, and yes, I think it would. But because we need to stop thinking America is the greatest country on earth if we refuse to invest in it for decades. We are lying to ourselves. America is old and saggy. It needs some plastic surgery. That's what this is about. We've done nothing since the highways were built 70, 80, 90 odd years ago. Almost a century ago. America has zero miles of high-speed rail. China has over 15,000 miles of high-speed rail, and our economy is bigger than theirs. So technically, we can afford it too. But we just aren't making investments like that right now. We give all of our money to defense to waste. So we are falling behind everywhere else. Our roads have potholes. Our drinking water, literally, our drinking water has lead in it. Several cities in the U.S. has lead in their water. Have lead in their water. Sorry, grammar teacher. Sometimes I feel stupid even drinking tap water. Because would they really tell us if something was wrong with it? Lead is one of the most poisonous substances known to man. Lead may be responsible for taking down the Roman Empire thousands of years ago. But thousands of years later, we still have lead water pipes in Michigan. And those lead water pipes have now made thousands of children in that jurisdiction into special needs kids. Some of them will need help for the rest of their lives because they drink water from pipes lined with lead. And there's no cure for lead contamination. How can a Republican Party say no to infrastructure in America after having taken $1.9 trillion out of the government's revenue stream for unnecessary tax cuts that had no effect on the economy. Those massive tax cuts, they weren't even asked for. But now Republicans are trying to block an infrastructure bill, something America desperately needs. Desperately. You know why they are trying to block this infrastructure bill? You know why? It's not because they have a better one. See, you thought they were sensible. You thought they were trying to block this bill because they have a better one. That's not that's not the case at all. Keep dreaming. That would be a stable Republican Party if that were the reason. The real reason why they are blocking an infrastructure bill is because they don't really believe in the power of government to solve problems like infrastructure. And this is not me saying this. Their last convention had no policy proposals. 
None. Their last policy proposal was basically, let's wait and see what Trump says. What's, what's Trump got to say about this? That's their policy. Well, what, what, what's Trump got to say? Let's support that. It's like a big fan club. The very last big bill that Republicans voted for as a block was a tax break for $1.9 trillion for the wealthiest among us. But spend the exact same amount on COVID relief, and they can't support it. Zero support. Nothing. Not one. The only thing Republicans really believe in, and this is my last point. I'm running out of time. I'm down to like three minutes. The only thing that Republicans really believe in is tax cuts. And don't get me wrong. Tax cuts can be great, but they can't solve every problem. I call the bishop and I ask him for the ride to the emergency room. I'm sick one day. He can't just say, I don't have a ride for you, but I can give you a tax cut. That's not helping me. Tax cuts can't, can't solve homelessness or overpriced medicine at the pharmacy. Tax cuts can't solve an opioid crisis or COVID-19. We've learned that tax cuts don't even put people back to work, really. But tax cuts are the favorite present to a person who has every other need taken care of. So they don't need any government services. They would actually prefer their money back for what they paid for those services. They don't care if other people need those services. That's not the point. And they certainly don't want any freeloaders getting any undeserved services on their dime. So no to universal health care. How about that? Because the Republican Party is unstable, I support Joe Biden and his plan to rebuild America's infrastructure with or without the help of the minority party. Republicans have been known to repeat that elections have consequences. And one of those consequences is that it's high time that we repair America. Anyway, we're running out of time. So I want to leave you with your quote of the day, and that is this. He who cannot howl will never find his pack. He who cannot howl will never find his pack. I love that quote by an American poet named Charles Smith. So I'm howling. I'm howling because I'm trying to find my pack. Thank you for joining us on the broadcast of the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent. Please do join the uh, Jamal Show email club on our Facebook page. You will like it. Please enjoy your Easter unless you have other plans. And we will be seeing you in two weeks. God bless. This is the Jamal Show. Down in Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. This is the Jamal Show. This is the Jamal Show. Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. Jamal. This is the Jamal Show. <laughs>